Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Well, so glad to see everyone here. I see a few people um, that are new. Welcome. So glad that you're here with us today. Um, yeah, it's exciting. And as we, as we just prayed, it is our desire that, that as we get together, that we receive from the Holy Spirit. Now, last week, um, I titled the message, How to Host the Holy Ghost. And we began talking about how we recognize that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says that, that we host his presence. And then scripture talks about ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And we, we recognized that as Christians who are forgiven of sin, that we avoid sin not because the next mistake we make is going to send us back to hell because we know that we're forgiven, but we are, are seeking to please him that is in us, he that loves us, he that, that gave so much for us, and we desire not to grieve him. This week, I want to continue, as we talked about last week, we just talked about some of the practical things that we do that are pleasing to the Lord. This week, I'm going to talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That was John the Baptist talking about Jesus. And he said that there was two baptisms. He said there's the baptism in water, which he was doing, and then there was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We want to look at this. Jesus spoke in Acts 1 and said, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus told the disciples to go and to wait for that. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says in Jude 1 verse 3, it says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting to you to extend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered for the saints. The faith and the common salvation that we have hasn't changed. When the disciples went out and, and talked to people and spread the gospel and they received the gospel and they were born again, they experienced what you and I experience. It is the same. It calls it the common salvation. It says once and for all. There are various teachings out there about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. People looking to explain and understand it. 
Acts 2.38 says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you, to your children, and to all who are far off. This was for them, for their kids, and their kids' kids, and their kids' kids. Those who are far off, that's us. You and I are the far off. I was just talking to some people yesterday, and they were, we, were, we were discussing, um, they, they were grandparents, and they were talking about how many generations they have seen, and their parents got to see five generations. I was thinking about it. My grandmother is 92, and she currently, you know, coexists with four generations. As soon as... Possibly my kids, or she's got a couple of great-grandkids that are my little older than my kids. As soon as they have kids, then it'll be five. But they multiply. It's like, oh, I've got, you know, six grandkids, 22 great-grandkids, 34 great-great-grandkids, right? It just keeps going. And the Bible refers to those as those that are far off, and it's talking to us about us. The Bible says that salvation is for them and for us. And it also speaks of the baptism and the gift of the Holy Spirit being for us. Now, there is a teaching that maybe you've heard before. Anyone ever heard someone say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have passed away and are no longer for the church. Anyone ever heard that one? Okay. I'm going to show you where that comes from, and we're going to look at it carefully. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 through 13. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But then, that which is perfect, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face... Now I see in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Okay. So how many of you noticed it said that tongues would cease? So some people have said, well... Usually based on their experience, they said, well, if I haven't experienced this, then maybe it's not there. It must be that it's gone. What, what does it say? They will cease. The question is, did they cease yet? When will they cease? And this says that also prophecy will cease. Has prophecy ceased and failed? No. It says that currently we know in part, 
But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. So there is something perfect coming. And after the perfect has come, that is when prophecy and tongues and the rest of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, many people argue, would pass away. Many people bunch in healing, miracles, all of those things, and say, well, they, they ceased when the perfect thing came. What is perfect? Well, the argument that coincides with the belief that healing is no longer for today, that miracles are no longer for today, that tongues are no longer for today, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are no longer for today, argues that that was speaking about the Bible. They say the Bible is inspired by God. As such, it is perfect. And when the Bible was given to us, God replaced the supernatural with the Bible, the end. This is, this is what the majority of Christians who deny the, the, the works of the Holy Spirit believe. That's where it comes from. Now, you and I are going to look carefully at this for just a second. It says that when that perfect comes, that which was in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mere dimly, now being during the time that prophecy and those things still exist, when tongues and the gifts of the Spirit are still for today, during that time, he describes what it's like as seeing dimly. He says, but then, in that new time, after the perfect has come, when tongues, for some reason, will be done away with, when the gifts of the Holy Spirit may be not present, he says, then... Face to face. Now it's only in part, but then I will know just as I am known. Here's my question to you. Do you know just as you are known? Does God know you and you know and understand God the way that God knows you? Not yet. Not yet. I understand that we have varying levels of Bible knowledge in the room. But just with a raise of hands, how many of you would say that knowing God as I am known describes right now what is achieved by reading Scripture? How many of you might say in heaven... I may know as I am known. See, when the Bible says the perfect has come, and we look into to the prophecy, we believe that's talking about the return of Christ and when we rule and reign with him in eternity. There will be a time. The Bible says that even sin will be done away with and death will be done away with. You realize death is also going to cease? It's not mentioned right here, but it's, it's mentioned elsewhere. Death is going to cease. 
Not just tongues, not just prophecy. There's going to be some radical changes coming up. But the question that we as Christians need to ask ourselves is, are those things that the Bible talks about, is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, are the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is healing, are tongues, are miracles, is prophecy, is all of that no longer for today? Has that already been put away? Or is God still moving in those ways? And if he's moving in those ways, what do we do as a response? Have tongues ceased? Well, they may be less practiced, perhaps, depending on the circles, but the Bible says that when that happens, we're currently, says it, then we'll be face to face. When will we be face to face with God? When? As I said before, there, there is a teaching out there that says this was accomplished through the giving of Scripture. And then you say, well, when, when was that? Was that when the, the early church agreed and, and used the Scripture? Or is that when... when the last apostle died, is that when, and you have a bunch of different theories about exactly when God stopped doing things supernaturally. I don't believe that aligns with scripture. I believe that this, that all of that is still God's will for today. It is still happening today. Now what makes that tempting and I've shared this before, but I, I, I looked up the beliefs of a denomination that has a church nearby because I just wanted to understand, hey, this other church that's in our area, what, what do they believe? And I was pleasantly surprised to discover in 2016, they changed their belief from saying that the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are have completely ceased and are not of God, but they, they said, we recognize from the fruit of the lives of the other Christian brothers who practice these things that they probably still happen. And then they said, but we don't recommend you teach on it because it's too messy. I'm not kidding you. That was the agreed upon belief of their entire corporate denominational leadership. Yeah, I guess we're going to acknowledge that maybe it wasn't Satan after all. But it's just easier to avoid it. I don't want to take the easy route. You know something? I have prayed for people and seen miracles happen. And I have prayed for people and seen nothing happen. I'm not going to stop praying for people. I believe what the scripture says. And we have had messages before. We'll have messages again where we'll talk about 
what the Bible says about healing, and we'll discuss different things that, that assist in, in walking out the, the supernatural that we see in Scripture, and, and different issues that come up, and blockages, and, and things. Do I understand all of them? No, but we're going to do our best, and we're going to go forward, and we're going to recognize this is what it says, in that currently we see dimly, as in a mirror, recognize you and I have way better mirrors than they had back then. Right? When, when he uses the example of looking in a mirror, he's, he's talking about like a polished piece of bronze that was smacked flat with a hammer. You and I now, like, we've got those, those mirrors that make your eyeball look the size of an apple. You know, the ones, like, that's not what he was referring to. He says, Right now, we don't fully understand it all, but we recognize that it's there. Have those things ceased? I do not believe that they have. Scripture talks about them. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit the same thing as salvation? Is it just a, a piece of salvation. Let's look in Acts chapter 8, verse 5 through 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Say Samaria. Samaria. And he preached Christ to them. What did he preach? Christ. Christ. Well, what would he have been preaching? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his, his atoning death and resurrection for our sins. So it says, and hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, for unclean spirits crying aloud came out of those who were possessed, and many were paralyzed, lame, and were healed. And there was great joy in that city. We're going to bump forward in the chapter to verse 12. It says, when they believed <clears throat> Philip as he preached. What did they do? They believed. What did he preach? Christ. The things that concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Okay, we're going to jump forward a couple of verses again. It says in verse 14, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria didn't, that's the same spot we were just talking about. That's why I made you say it so you'd remember where he was just a few verses back. Had received the word of God. What had they done with the word of God? They received it. We saw that also described earlier as believing. So they heard the gospel. They believed on the gospel. They received the gospel. They, the Bible describes repentance and baptism over and over again. So they repented and they were baptized, presumably in water. And then it says, they had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This verse describes what the apostles recognized in the beginning of the church. 
This is after Jesus had died and rose from the dead. This is after the Holy Spirit had come down in the upper room. All of the the landmark happenings had already taken place. They were living in the same dispensation that you and I are living in. You understand? We look, when I say that dispensation, how many of you guys have a clue, like, have ever used that word? (laughs) Dispensation. We don't use that that often. What I'm talking about is when we look at the Old Testament and we see the things that they did and the way that they related to God, we recognize that they related to God differently in the Old Testament than you and I do. Why? Because Jesus had not yet come and died and rose again. We recognize that that the disciples prior to the upper room experience related differently than they did afterwards. Why? Because they had not yet, the Holy Spirit had not yet come down. But after those things had happened, then we're all in the same boat. You and I believe in faith on what Jesus already did. His death Burial and resurrection has already happened. The Bible says he died once for all. We are in the same place that the apostles were then. And and it says here that Philip went and he taught them about believing on what Jesus had done. They heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. They believed in that gospel and they went out and they got baptized. And then... The apostles sent two more people, Peter and John, who showed up, and they prayed for something else. They prayed for something else. Were those people Christians? Yes. They believed and were baptized. Every scripture we look at anywhere will will confirm, if we compare that, they were believers. Then is there something available to us that we see exemplified in scripture after salvation and baptism? Or I should say separate from. Because we will see in scripture that there are times when people believed and were baptized and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit all around the same time. But the Bible here is, does does anyone disagree that those appear to have been separate occurrences? Acts chapter 19. Now, that was the, the, the chronology of Samaria, right? We saw in Samaria, they, they heard from Philip, they believed, they were baptized. Then Peter and John came and <clears throat> spoke to them about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, we move forward in Acts, and we're in a different location. This is, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus to find some disciples and said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, "Uh, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. 
So that answer would be no. No, they hadn't. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And so they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. Saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with other tongues and prophesied. I often think about that particular verse. They, they received the gospel. They were preached to. They believed. They were baptized. And Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul obviously considered this gift of the Holy Spirit to be something that could have been received when they believed but also something that might not have been received when they believed. Now, I want to I be super-duper clear with this. We're talking about something Scripture says exists and is available to us. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you have to have that gift of the Holy Spirit in order for your sins to be forgiven. And when your sins are forgiven, that is what clears you for eternal life. So what we're saying is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, whichever terminology you want to use to describe it, is not necessary to be saved and on your way to heaven. Do you follow? There, there are those on the other side. We have some people within Christianity who say that, you know what? All of that has gone away. When the perfect, which was the Bible, came, then, then nope, no more supernatural. And then you have another group who says, well, nope, that has to be there. And if you don't have that, you haven't even been forgiven of your sins. You're not even on your way to heaven. You have to have this gift of the Holy Spirit. You have to be speaking in tongues or you're not even going to heaven. That's not in here. He went to them. He said, when you repented, or when you believed, and, and in the others, he said, oh, you were baptized, you repented. Your sins were forgiven. You're on your way to heaven. It is not a necessity for your sin to be forgiven. However, Jesus admonished his disciples to wait for it. And he said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is something unique to salvation that Scripture describes as available to us. Luke 24, verse 9, 
says, Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Verse 4 of Acts 1, 4 and 5, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 7 and 8, And then he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has put in his authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One of the purposes of the gift of the Holy Spirit is that we as Christians would live an empowered life to be witnesses. I think I've shared this for you before, but when I was a little kid, it still is vivid in my mind. When I was a little kid in in Sunday school, we visited a church somewhere and and they did this illustration and they had a kid lay down on a table and then the doctor kind of comes in there and he was talking about the Holy Spirit. How many remember rubber chickens? So they made this whole, you know, thing and he reaches in and he said he pulled out the rubber chicken and he said, the Holy Spirit takes the chicken out of you. And that illustration was so that we as kids would recognize and remember that one of the purposes of the gift of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit was to pull fear, inadequacy, insufficiency out of us. Remember Peter? Peter, prior to receiving the Holy Spirit, three times in one night chickened out until the chicken crowed. He was afraid to stand up, even in front of a small group around a fire, even among a a small group. But then, after receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that he stood up and spoke to a crowd. We don't know how big the crowd is, but we know that it was big enough that 3,000 of them were added to the number of the church. Almost sounds like a totally different person. He was empowered by the Spirit. I don't want to take too long. The Bible talks about baptism. It 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 includes speaking in tongues, but that is not the only thing that the Bible says it does. It says that you will receive power. That was separate and distinct from speaking in tongues. How do we know? The Bible does talk about the speaking tongues. It's Acts 2.4. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now they're dwelling in Jerusalem were devout men, many under nation, under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? I just 
I, I was just talking to a, a youth pastor um, in Granville just last week, and he told me this story. He said, we just... We were praying with some kids. We had a couple of high school kids come in, and they were asking us about the Holy Spirit, and so we started talking about that, and we, we prayed for them to, to, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We, we encouraged them. You know what? We're going we're gonna to pray for you. We encourage you. Speak out. Say something. It's going to feel strange, but just try. And so they, they began to speak, and he said, one of the girls... After a few minutes when they were praying, she says, I heard her. Now, one of the girls was speaking in tongue. Nobody could understand. It was just, she's mumbling. She says, I heard her saying, and now I can't remember what it was, but she had said something, something like praising God, like it was a declaration of, of God's goodness or something like that. She says, I heard her say that, but then when I would look and try to focus on what she was saying, suddenly I couldn't. She understood what was being said, but when she tried to focus on it, then she couldn't. What she had experienced right then was an interpretation of tongues. What was said in the supernatural was not what was being, didn't coincide with the sounds that were being made in the natural. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse four says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. The reason that we pray in tongues, except when there is an interpretation, which the Bible lists that as a gift of the Holy Spirit, and that's not always present when, the, when tongues are spoken. In fact, biblically, it's a minority of the times. But it does happen. And the Bible says, do not forbid the speaking of tongues. If we were to say, it's messy, don't try it. Then I'm... I'm breaking scripture. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. It says, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. At the same time that he says, don't forbid it, he says, do things decently and in order. In 1 Corinthians 14, 18, Paul is writing, and he says, I thank God that I speak with tongues more than you all. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says that for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. What is the purpose of tongues? It is for our spirit to speak to God. It says, you don't understand. Verse 2 says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks 
mysteries. Verse 4 says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. When we speak in tongues, the Bible says other people, the church, those around us, are not edified. Elsewhere in scripture, it, 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 it finishes describing it. It says, except when there is interpretation. So tongues plus interpretation is the equivalence of a prophecy. And when those two come together, then like a prophecy, it's edifying to the church. But Paul says, when you pray in tongues, you're doing so to speak to God. You're doing so to edify yourself. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. How many of you have ever not known what to pray? That's me. Like, a lot. I don't know what to pray. But the Bible says here, that when we do not know what to pray, if we pray in the Spirit, then the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings. Other translations say sighs, sounds that cannot be uttered or understood or comprehended. Now, who searches, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That intercession, this verse says, will be according to God's will. When we pray in tongues, the Bible says, though we don't know, we are mind, our spirit in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, is praying the will of God. What does my spirit say? I don't know. I don't know. I can look, I can listen to, to interpretations, I can hear things, some clues. There have been some people who have prayed in tongues, they're have been understood in other languages to preach the gospel. Others have been understood to simply declare the goodness of the Lord. We recognize that angels used to stand in God's presence and just declare over and over his greatness. And in mighty, we don't know. When my spirit is praying, I don't know. But I know that it is what the Spirit has and wills. It is in conjunction with God's will. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the Spirit helps our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray. And the Holy Spirit helps our weakness. Why do we want this because God wants it for us. 
1 Corinthians 14.5 says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. What did he say there? He said that it is God's will that we speak in tongues, but that as the church benefits, prophecy is more beneficial to all because Everyone is benefiting, but tongues benefits us. It reminds me of the first that says that physical exercise profits little. And some people go, oh, good, I don't have to. No. In comparison to, right, it still has value. So, what does Scripture say? To receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8, 17 through 19, it says, Then they began laying their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. In Acts 9, 17, it says, After laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 19.6 says, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. Luke 11, 9 through 14. Here, well, let me just read this first. And it says, And I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How many of you remember, knew the verse, asking it will be given to you? How many of you remember that verse? How many of you realized it was talking about the Holy Spirit? That verse that says, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find is talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that if you seek the Holy Spirit, if you ask for it, you will receive it. How many of you have been saved, have received forgiveness? How do you know? God promised God's word is that guarantee. God's promise and God's word is our guarantee of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He said, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. Somebody says, but I'm not experiencing Everything. Does that mean that, that God didn't 
actually give me the gift of the Holy Spirit? I go back to the scripture to get that answer. And I believe that the answer is, if you ask, this is, we, we look, if you seek and ask for the Holy Spirit, if you have received, it's, it's subsequent to salvation, so you need to be saved first, you need to believe. But I believe, according to scripture, that if you ask, you will receive. We know that. Why? Because that's God's word. It's his promise. So today, as we close, first I want to say, if you don't know that your sins are forgiven, if you have never believed on Jesus, the message of Jesus Christ, that is step one. If you have been forgiven, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to ask, raise your hand right now. Okay, if, that's, if you have not, I want to invite you that is step one. With every eye closed, just a minute, is there anyone here who has not received that forgiveness and confessed their belief in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead? And you want to. Raise your hand and we'll do it now. Then I'm going to move forward. You and I are at minimum in the same boat as the people of Samaria. We know that our sins are forgiven. We have been taught what Jesus said. And, and God says that there is a gift of the Holy Spirit available to us. It's not just about speaking in tongues. It includes the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. If you desire that, I want to follow the scriptural pattern of praying for you, laying hands on you, and you will ask, just like that scripture said, and you will say, God, give me that gift of the Holy Spirit. We will agree with you. And then we trust God to fulfill his promise. If that's you today, and you want to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to raise your hand. Is there anybody here today? If you're watching online, I gave the examples of where people were, had their hands laid on them. But it's interesting, and, and, and if you were here, that's what I would do. But it's interesting that in Luke 11, when Jesus talks about anyone who asks, receives, he doesn't specify that you've got to have your hands laid on you. So if you are at home and you desire 
that gift of the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you to pray and ask. That's what the scripture says. Ask and you will receive. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you. We are so grateful for your word that you have shown us what you desire for us. Lord, we pray that your presence would be here in us. We ask that your will be done in each and every one of our lives. Lord, we, we rebuke the strategies of the enemy to come against your purposes in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Fantastic.